Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. My name is Michael Lejeune and I will be your host today on Game Changers. I want to get right into the show by welcoming our guest, Gina Gallagher. Gina is the president of AOC Key Solutions. Gina, welcome, and please take a minute to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your company. Great. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to all of you today. Um, I have over 30 years of business strategy, business development, and market experience in the federal government sector. I started my career at EDS, which is now an HPE company, and I worked there in the Department of Defense and moved into the civilian marketplace, has held leadership positions primarily as a VP of business development um, throughout the years um, in large to mid-size and small organizations. So uh, very well qualified in the federal government space and uh, look forward to give you some strategies and some thoughts on uh, take those back to your office and see what you can do with them. Yeah, I, you know, we just love talking about federal contracts and the, and the topic today is winning federal contracts. And, and you sent me a couple of little bullet points about, you know, capture planning, proposal development, win strategies and different things like that. And I, I think we're probably going to zero in mostly on the on the RFP process here today, because I think one of the biggest challenges that companies face is how to answer an RFP and, and bring innovative thoughts and solutions to the table. In fact, I think the mere mention of the RFP process is enough to scare a lot of companies, you know, but this is really where things are won. You know, you, you can go and talk to the government about your products and service. You can look up opportunities, but the big thing is you've got to understand how to respond to them through the RFP process. So I think we're going to bounce around a little bit in this podcast because when you start talking RFPs, you hit a lot of different factors uh, that are involved in winning contracts, but they're all very interconnected. And so one major challenge that companies have in the RFP hits the streets is, you know, sometimes they just don't have enough information about it. So the RFP hits the streets and there's 50 questions you want to ask about it. And so how can companies obtain more information 
about a solicitation when it first hits the streets? Well, I mean, on many times, obviously, the RFP, if you are in a planning mode and you've been watching the RFP, obviously, you've been able to find some information out, which I strongly suggest that you do. If um, you are actually trying to just get more information, the RFP is hit. Obviously, we all have access to FedBizOps. Um, we also have subscription-based services such as like a Govwin IQ, a Bloomberg, um, the FPDS, which is the Federal Procurement Data System. You know, you can look at that and see past contracts and past history. So it can give you even, you know, is this a brand new solicitation? Is it a past solicitation, a recompete of some sort? So we generally try to look at getting more information on the solicitation by deep diving into those databases um, with a wealth of knowledge. It usually gives um, obviously incumbent information. It may even give teaming information. It may even give some pricing information. And certainly it will give you the correct point of contacts um, within those companies as well. It'll give you a correct point of contacts for the government uh, folks that you should be reaching out to, to talk to, to find out more information. Yeah. I think that's a key point, you know, just looking at, all the different government systems that are out there looking at, is it a new solicitation? You know, is it, are there incumbents on this? Is it something that's been around for a while? Just being able to grab some of that data. I think a lot of people skip that step and just say, Hey, there's an RFP. Let's see if we can win this um, just based on the RFP document itself. And I think, I don't know, would you, that seems to be, especially people new to contracting, that seems to be the strategy. We're just going to go off the RFP document and, I think that's not a good strategy. What are what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't certainly don't suggest that. Um, I I agree with you. I think that you really have to look at the background uh, of information. Um, you know, was it a large business uh, opportunity that's been moved to set aside? Why was it moved to set aside? If it was a small, it's moved to large, which generally doesn't happen very often. But why did it? Is it because they don't like the current contractor? They've switched to do a different contract vehicle. Um, it is good to get the background information on you know, why that solicitation looks and feels the way it does, because that'll give you competitive um, information as you move into your next phase. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, I think one of the thoughts that a lot of people have is, well, if I have questions, I should just call the contracting officer, right? I mean, it, and... It, some of us cringe when we hear that. What are your thoughts on, I've, I've exhausted the resources online um, and I don't have the answers to the questions I really feel like will make me competitive. What are your thoughts on actually reaching out to the contracting officer? And, you know, what are some of the challenges with that while something is, you know, in acquisition mode? Well, I mean, I even find even before acquisition mode, most of the time contracting officers do not return your phone call. So most of the time they're not going to return it post RFP um, when the, the RFP has been released. Most of the time, based on FAR regulations, it indicates that it is an active procurement and many times you cannot talk to you know particular government officials. What I have found in the years that I've been doing this is I find a lot of my information from my competition, um, from teaming partners, um, just what's going on out there and finding out a little bit more about the, obviously the opportunity at hand, but um, also just looking at, you know, about CPAR scores, like what are their past performance scoring, things like that. Those give me a wealth of information 
um, not only about the competition, but it'll also give me information on the particular opportunity itself. Many times it's very, it's too late to call the contracting officer. So you really have to use a roundabout way of getting the information that you need, like what are they looking for? Is it a particular software solution? Is it a particular um, you know, help desk or call center um, that they're looking to stand up? What is that RFP? And many times I think you really have to look at um, you know, what is the customer trying to get at? And sometimes you'll never find out. And that is very difficult to make a then a bid and no bid decision. Um, but you have to look at other resources. And honestly, the, the best place that I've been able to gain access to information on RFP is competition and teaming partners. Hmm. Yeah, And I, I think just to, to kind of close out on the contracting officer thing, I, I think it's possible, but I think, for at least in my experience, I think you put them in a bad situation uh, when you're trying to, to gather information from them. And I, and I think m- more people could learn a lot by listening to what you just said about these sources, because the thing that I, I gathered from it was you understand how to use the sources to get the information you need. And a lot of times when people look at FPDS or whatever it may be, they don't necessarily know what they're looking at. So it's they could pull data from all these resources, but if you don't know what you're looking at, you don't know what you're looking for, you don't know the the questions you're trying to answer, you're you're going to come up dry anyway, and it's just going to be a waste of time to call the contracting officer, and it puts them in a bad situation to do that. So I, I like your strategies of looking in these different places for specific information, um, and I, I think it's a really really strong strategy. You, you mentioned teaming partners there, so let's talk about teaming for a minute. Most companies, as we all know, win their first contracts through teaming. I'd like your thoughts on finding the right teaming partners. How do you go about that on, especially on a, uh, a contract you may not have been tracking? You know, how, how do you go about finding the right teaming partners for some of this stuff? Well, in many of, even on FedBizOps and any of the um, subscription-based services, which of course you have to pay for, there's always an interested parties list. Um, and I think that's always a very good place to start just to look like Hooven wants to play on this space, certainly research those companies, go to their website, see if they have a past performance at a, that particular agency that the, uh, the solicitation is coming out on. Um, you also have access to, you know, the websites. If you don't have the subscription-based service, you can go to the agency websites. You can find out the top contractors, um, small, medium, and large at each agency. So that's very helpful because that tells you who's already playing there, which gives you an idea of exactly who should be good partners for you, whether, again, large businesses, medium, and small. So generally, I start looking um, at the interested party list and then move into websites um, that I can look at, mainly the agency websites. Um, the subscription-based services make it easier for you, which is why they're subscription-based services, right. because you actually can go right in there and put pull up an agency, and it's going to give you your you know top 50 contractors in every classification, whether large, uh, service-disabled, veteran-known, and 8A, et cetera. So, um, it does give you some idea who's playing there and who potentially is going to be your competition and who potentially is going to be your teammate. Hmm. Have you had any luck with contacting like the small business office uh, for these organizations and saying, hey, you know, I, I've again, and, and I, I think all the suggestions are great. 
once those suggestions are exhausted, you've, you've done the stuff online, have you had any luck calling the small business office and saying, hey, I've exhausted all my resources online. I'm just not comfortable with the teaming partners that are on here. Do you know a, a company that would be a good fit? I mean, is, is that a recommendation you would make? Yes. Um, the, the small businesses, as they referred to in the government spaces, Ostaboos. Those particular offices vary from agency to agency, and over the course of my career, I have certainly found that some are extremely helpful from telling you about opportunities coming out, telling you who to get in contact with, who are playing at that agency, who has past performance there. Um, so some of them are extremely helpful in, in helping you as a business, and some uh, I have found, are, you know, have not been as helpful. Yeah, le um, less than helpful. <laughs> yes, less than helpful. So, you know, you really have to, it's it, depending on your agency focus and the strategy of your company, um, you're going to, it's a hit or miss. It really has been, um, you know, from varying from agency to agency. But certainly, they usually have a good idea of the small businesses and the largest that are um, obviously the big players in the agency. So that absolutely is certainly um, a step that you can run parallel with the um, subscription databases and like a FedBizOps, run those parallel or as a second step if you don't find what you need. Yeah, no, I, I think those are all good options. And, you know, I, I can't stress enough how much good information is online. Right. I mean, there's so much information online and there's so many sources. You've mentioned a couple FPDS, FedBizOps. Um, there's so many other great sources out there. Do you have a, a personal favorite? And, and I don't mind mentioning a brand. Do you have a personal favorite um, paid source that you really, really like using? Well, I mean, I grew up with GovWinIQ, um, so that was, you know, I think the input days is if I'm aging myself now, input and fed sources were my go-to um, that both were acquired by uh, by Deltech, which is, of course, GovWinIQ product that's now. Um, that's been my main source because I've grown up with it. I have to say, though, um, I have created uh, quite a good relationship with Bloomberg and found them to be extremely helpful on um, deep diving into certain core competencies and understanding who's best players in those core competencies as well. So, um, you know, I'd say those are primarily my two favorites um, because, again, growing up with GovWinIQ uh, over the years and how it's uh, matured with the acquisitions, um, it seems to have worked out well as far as winning business. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of paid products. I, I think you can get a lot of good stuff from the free areas. You mentioned FPDS a couple of times. I've mentioned it a couple of times. I think FPDS is great, but I think the reason a lot of people migrate to some of these paid services is it's not necessarily the easiest thing to use. So even though it has a ton of great data, and there are some whizzes out there in the market who they speak FPDS and they can pull data that most people can't. I still think for the average user, it's just kind of hard to figure out. And so if you find a great solution that's a paid solution, that's a good route to go. I, I wouldn't you know, scoff at that if I was uh, especially new to the market. So you know, when, when I'm thinking about teaming in the RFP process, a lot of people, I think, don't necessarily approach teaming and the RFP process together and jointly like they'll, they'll come in and say hey we're working on the rfp can you share some info on these three paragraphs or whatever do you, do you have some advice on how to better 
balance or properly balance the RFP process with a teaming partner? Because to, to me, the 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 RFP process for a lot of companies is the first time you get to work together before you actually work on the contract. So I think that kind of lays a foundation for how you're going to work together on the contract. Any thoughts or insights on working better, balancing that RFP process with your teaming partner? Absolutely. So as you're looking at the right team, um, obviously to pursue that particular opportunity, um, you're hoping that obviously you're getting your appropriate um, non-disclosure statements in place. Obviously try to be putting your teaming agreements in place prior to the RFP coming out. Um, the, the companies that win get that done in advance. They get their NDA, their TA, and they start pre-solutioning opportunities. Um, some even like to have the whole proposal written before the RFP comes out. Um, so I strongly encourage folks to get ahead of the game, get those kind of things out of the way, because um, you want to create what's called a matri- uh, capability matrix, which is going to allow you to look at all the core uh, requirements in the RFP or what you think it's going to look like, and then put your teaming partners and make sure between the prime, which hopefully is yourself, and your subs that you actually have a capability matrix that says we got this entire proposal uh, RFP covered based on the um, on the competencies that that they're stating in the requirements. So I would certainly recommend that you do that in advance um, and make sure that you know you get those items in place. Now, if you happen to not have those things in place when the RFP hits, um, you know you're going to have to be very careful with the information that you're disclosing to one another, unless you have an NDA in place, because, you know, if you don't have those kind of uh, documents in place, like your teaming agreement, um, you know, you could be giving out information and they can take it to another company. So just be very careful um, as you're discussing it with uh, teaming partners or potential um, that you're not giving away your secret sauce. Yeah. And I I think that's a big thing because I think a lot of companies are, are very open about what's going on in their companies, how they're, you know, planning on approaching a contract. And I think you're right. You know, somebody could take that and go somewhere else. So until you have that teaming agreement signed and your non-disclosures, all that stuff squared away, and it's usually all part of the same document. Until you have that stuff squared away, you really don't want to give, as you said, the secret sauce for how you're going to approach this. So, uh, so, so what, what happens if you're going through the process and realize you chose the wrong teaming partner, any, I know this is a tricky question. It really wasn't on our radar for today. Any thoughts about that as you're going through? Cause a lot of people do really good in due diligence and they do, I always say they have a great interview, right? And you do your due diligence and then something unfolds through the RFP process or whatever. And you go, Oh man, I really don't want to work with these people. Yeah. Any thoughts on how to deal with a situation like that? Yes, it's happened. Um, obviously, uh, over a span of 30 years, that's happened a couple times. And the advice I have is make sure that your teaming agreements that you have, that you've set up as your templates within your company, have an out in your teaming agreement that allows you, based on the final RFP, and any requirements may change that you as the prime have the ability to, uh, you know, basically um, in that TA. You also have the ability if you decide to no bid um, that you do not owe them any, you know, any monetary value or anything like that. So make sure as you um, enter into your TAs, um, you hope that you are picking the right team, but 
perhaps as you has just indicated may not have make sure that you have the appropriate um, language in your TAs that indicate that you can exit based on these criteria. Um, it does save you um, from lawsuits and arbitration. So, um, you know, I strongly recommend that you do take a look um, at the language. If you are a small company and you can't, you know, afford a full-time lawyer um, and a contracts department, you know, you may want to, uh, you know, pay someone in in that background to take a look at it, and make sure it doesn't set you up for any um, any issues. Yeah, no, that's great advice. You know, I think having a, a really good solid out, and I like how you threw in there about uh, an out if you choose to no bid it. I think that's really, really important because that may be what you have to do. You may have to choose between do we go ahead and bid knowing we probably will win and don't want to work with this company, or do we just not bid this and walk away and that way you know everybody saves a little face here uh, super important point there that I don't I, I don't know that I've seen in many teaming agreements so I, I really like that one um, so I want to kind of combine a couple of questions I have coming up here uh, just for the sake of time and uh, you, we've both mentioned competition a little bit how important is it to know your competition and then when we're when we're thinking about competition, there's a term that's floating around. Some of us are very familiar with it. It's called ghosting. How important is it to know your competition, and how important is it to to kind of ghost capabilities against the competition, basically, in the proposal process? Well, if obviously to know your competition, it helps you to know what obviously uh, core competencies they have and what they're going to bring to the table, what kind of past performance, and what kind of pricing model. And so if you are looking at those particular areas, you have to know your competition and know that they're going to be going up against you. Um, many times with our clients, we actually work um, and actually have what's called a black hat strategy. And it basically simulates the behavior of your toughest opponent. Um, and it makes you look at, you know, what are the customer hot buttons, um, how to beat the competition. Um, you know, you, you target your company's streaks and weaknesses. Um, it looks at uh, a lot of different areas of, um, you know, who's making the decisions, what do they care about. Um, you actually want to create what we do um, is called a notional winner profile in NWP for short. And basically, it's a benchmark that contains features of kind of the ideal winning team from your vantage point. So it'll look at core competencies, experience, past performance the size or any resources, some products and services, and then your technical approach. And what we have found, the closer you come to meeting that notional winner profile, the better your chances of winning are. So you asked a second question, which is, you know, how are you going to ghost that competition? So if you can find that same information out, and it, it does take, a, you know, some time and effort to do so. If you can find that same information out, on your comp your competition, what teams potentially could be going out, going after? I'm sorry for this particular opportunity. You then um, can set up, you know, that notional winner profile. You can look at this is what our team looks like. This is what the other three uh, competitive teams look like, and then it allows you to look at their notional winner profile and say we can ghost them 
on this particular area, whether it's pricing, whether it's management, whether it's technical, um, it can be any facet of the um, proposal, uh, the RFP, and then obviously the, the uh, proposal response. So that's what we really mean by ghosting the competition is, you know, they may have had poor performance on the contract. They may have gone in at a certain low price and found that they couldn't staff that particular task order. You want to use those to your advantage to ghost the competition because obviously you want to beat them. Right. So those are some of the things that that we look at when we're looking at your competition, looking at how to portray yourself, and then how do you ghost the competition based on all the research that you have found. Yeah, I, I really like that NWP, that profile that you're talking about there, because I, I think a lot of companies, again, and I know I'm speaking in general here, a lot of companies don't even take the time to create an ideal client profile, much less an ideal winning profile on, on something like this. So to take the time to do that, I, I cause I'm, I'm imagining this matrix of, you know, values and benefits and different things like that, that just say, Hey, this is the ideal candidate, the winner. We've got to match that, but also, Hey, company A, B, and C, this is where they're strong and where they're weak and where we're strong and, and different things like that. And so I think there's a ton of value in there. I don't think, I, I, I don't think the effort outweighs the win. You know, this is not, we're not talking weeks and weeks of effort. And and once you've done it once or twice, you got a really good handle on who those competitors are and you can reuse that stuff. And so long-term, tremendous value in creating that profile. So uh, that, that'll be one of my key takeaways from this session here is that profile. Because again, I don't think companies even take the time to create an ideal client profile much less this ideal winning profile that you're talking about here. So super powerful. You, you, you touched on pricing a little bit. A, a lot of companies ask me about pricing. It's, it's one of the, I would say, one of the biggest fears that I hear about is I, I'm afraid I'm going to price it too high or, hey, you know, I'm just as afraid I'm going to price it too low and there's not going to be enough profit. Can you shed some light on how to build compatible and profitable pricing? If you were to look at, uh, like, let's just use, for example, um, and some of you are familiar with like T4 or T4NG that's out there. It's a, the main BAIT contract vehicle. Um, it has 160 labor categories on it. You have uh, 20 plus awardees. Um, you don't really know what everybody bid, but you are going to be bidding on a couple hundred task orders, perhaps, let's say, the first year of the 10-year contract. You need to find out how you're going to beat them. And so the only way really to figure that out, other than the things that we've already mentioned, whether creating an NWP or just learning more about information on, on particular contract, is you need to figure out the competitive pricing model. So what I suggest is certainly take a look at their GSA schedules, because generally most of the companies out there will have some GSA schedule or labor categories. It's required by GSA to put them on their website so that you have easy access to them. You can use that as a baseline for your pricing model. Um, you know that they're, they're probably going to discount. So you can take that into, um, into consideration when you're creating this competitive pricing model. The other thing that I would suggest is as your competition wins opportunities, um, capture that information, whether you use a CRM product like a Salesforce or even an Excel spreadsheet, you know, put competition X won this job, um, at this price. And you know that you probably bid that and you probably went in with, you know, 13 out of the 160 labor categories 
and you have, you know, your pricing, you'll be able to almost figure out, let's say they went in with the same 13 labor categories. You're going to try to figure out if they did that and they came to, uh, you know, a 4.7 million, you came to a 4.2 million. You're going to try to figure out, you know, how, how did they come up with that level of effort? What kind of pricing model did they use? And over time, as you start capturing that information from 10, 20, 30 different task orders, what you're going to find out very quickly is that you're building that competitive pricing model. So therefore you set yourself up to understand pricing of your competition. Um, you may even find out a little bit more information about like CPARs, which is basically your past performance scores. You may even get that kind of information. And so it now starts creating a competitive pricing model that you can use in your gate review, which is basically obviously the reviews within a company that says, should we bid or no bid? Um, but it'll actually allow you to um, create a competitive landscape to know who's your competition and what do you need within your own organization to beat to beat them. And so um, that has has been wildly successful over the past couple of years of getting that information and using it to your advantage. Yeah, no, and, and I love what you said there because uh, a couple of points. The first one is most people. Again, I'm generalizing this. Most people, when they lose a task order, think, oh, well, on to the next one. And let me go look at that one. And they don't take the time to gather the data. So I love how you're pointing out, go gather the data. Every you, Just because you lost this one doesn't mean it, it's over. It doesn't mean that that data is not valuable. It's it's valuable in the long run. The, the second point I want to make about that is if you're a regular listener to the podcast – you're, you, you're seeing a trend here with every one of our guests that says there's no quick, simple solution here. You know, there, you can gain a lot of insight from databases and websites and different things like that. But, but winning is a long-term strategy. It really is. Winning in the government's a long-term strategy. And, and, and Gina came on here today and just backed that up. You know, over time, if you are the company who actually gathers that data, you can build the competitive pricing model by keeping that history. Because again, most companies aren't going to do it. So if you do it, you'll separate yourself. So I, I love the thoughts there. And I love the fact that yet another guest comes on and says, there's no silver bullets. There's no shortcuts. <laughs> you know, there's there's no magic dust you can, you can sprinkle on this thing. So I, I really, really love that. So any final thoughts for our listeners, Gina? Um, two things. One, I wanted to add to the last section. Um, please make sure that you ask for a debrief, whether you win or lose. It's lessons learned and it'll help you in your next uh, effort when awesome. the RFP comes in. So I want to add that. Two, uh, really for final thoughts is, you know, over the years, stay focused, be diligent. Um, you know, it will come. I know some people feel that it's, you know, sometimes it takes a long time and a long effort but as long as you stay focused and diligent and repeatable processes in place. Um, and the other thing really to add to that is don't follow the shiny penny. Really stay focused. Um, a lot of times people get swayed off their pipeline or, you know, their, their attack of where they want to focus. Um, you know, don't try to be things to everyone. Um, really stay focused um, and uh, don't go after that shiny penny that, you know, takes you off your track of uh, looking at opportunities, staying on your pipeline and, uh, you know, putting them through the proper gate review 
and, you know, uh, find the right team, write the winning proposal and, uh, you, you know, you'll meet your revenue numbers. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. And, you know, it's, it's all good wisdom here, you know, and that's, it's one of the things that I always tell my wife in, in their business is like, run the game at your pace. Don't let people throw you off the pace. Don't let them focus you on, like you said, the shiny penny. Run the game at your pace. Stay focused, and, and you're just going to win. It's a long-term investment there. So so thank you so much for the wisdom today. All great stuff. Please go back through the podcast if you're listening today. There's a lot of little nuggets in there about systems, about just little strategies, and it's the little things that really make the difference when you're trying to win more contracts. So thanks again, Gina. I really appreciate it. I look forward to having you back on the show at some point. Thank you for having me. You betcha. And I also want to take a minute to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. You can also learn more about each of our guests by visiting the official Game Changers website at rsmfederal.com forward slash Game Changers, where we'll have links to their websites, contact information, LinkedIn profile, that sort of thing. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program at rsmfederal.com forward slash FA for more information on how you can find and win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash Game Changers.